0: name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. amen. Come on, let's give God some praise as you take a seat. So I don't know if you know this or not, but we are we are in a crisis. And I know that as, as soon as I say that we're in a crisis, your mind instantly goes to you know, a certain thing. Maybe some of you, it's like, yeah, we're, we're, we're in a crisis in our country. And have you seen the economy? Have you seen inflation? Or, or some of you, you know, it's a, we're in a crisis, and it's, a, and it's the immigration, or it's this or that, and we're, or we're in a crisis, and you're judging it based on whatever your, your vantage point is. But I want to tell you that we are in a crisis that far outweighs them all, in my opinion. And I think the crisis that we are in is a crisis of commitment, that as i look around especially in today's day and age in our culture we have a crisis of commitment or maybe a better way to say it a crisis of non-commitment have you noticed this that over the last uh, few decades commitment has become rare even when we like say yes to something it's like a tentative like it's a maybe or or, or, or you know like you see that as you look around at people, they're, they're jumping from job to job to job, and now it's remote, and so it makes it even easier to hop around from one place to the next, and it's we've lost commitment. We, we've seen over the last few decades that divorce rates have skyrocketed because even in our relationships that we make a vow and oath in, we have lost commitment. Not only that, you can look at even church numbers, att- attendance numbers, where, where people used to, you know, the average attender used to attend you know 2 to 3 times a month it's now once every 4 to 5 to 6 weeks we have lost commitment and and a lot of it is is when you look at our culture we've become a slave to the moment we've we've developed this culture that is can i just go ahead and say it the last thing that i want to be known for is viral We've developed this culture now that everything is viral and every, everybody is chasing their viral moment where they can hit it big and, and then they can, they can call it a day. But we're not willing to commit to the long term. And some of you, even this morning, I know that you're going through some hard stuff in your life. You're going through some difficult circumstances. And maybe there's some different things that That you're tempted to throw in the towel, you're tempted to give up, you're tempted to just quit and and call it a day and be done with it. And I just want to encourage you today, don't lose heart. In fact, I actually want to call my message today, don't lose heart. Because I think there's a lot of us that when we really examine ourselves, we operate more off of emotions and feelings than we do Commitment and a dedication to the long term. I remember a a few years ago, um, it was September of 2022, I believe, we had a a flood, and it flooded our basement. I don't know if you guys remember that flash flood that we had, tornadoes that came through and all this, and 2021, was that what it was? And, uh, and it flooded our, our basement, and, and so we had to rip up carpet and all this kind of stuff, and, and so we went, and we went to the carpet store, and we were getting a quote, and we were picking out carpet, and they were gonna come, and they were gonna replace all the carpet, and when we moved into this house, you gotta understand, like, I know you, you gotta picture this in your mind, but our, our basement looked like a Western saloon. The, the previous owners, I'm not even kidding, they had like copper things all in the corner and, and all the staircases had these nice little railings and there was a, a bar that was like the size of a tank right in the middle of our kids' playroom. And, um, and so as we were doing this, we're like, okay, we're, we're gonna wait a little bit to do this, but now you know, we, we've got the flood, we had to rip it all up. So we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna remodel this a little bit. You know? we, we're, gonna, we're gonna take out the bar. We're just like, we don't want our kids to grow up alcoholics, so we're, just gonna, we're gonna rip this thing out. And so we went, and we got it you know, measured and all this kind of stuff, and we had the carpet ripped up, and we had a dumpster outside, and I remember one day, I'm sitting in my, uh, in my office and I get a call, and it's like 2.30 in the afternoon, and, and it's the carpet store, and they're calling, and they're saying, hey, listen, we've got your, your, your carpet in stock, we're ready to go, um, we have two options for you. The first is, is we could actually come and install your carpet tomorrow at 8.30 a.m., the other option is it might take three to four weeks for us to be able to get an install crew on site for you. So I'm, uh, I'm sitting here knowing full well that, that though the carpet's ripped up, we still have this gigantic bar. We have some drywall stuff. To, like we, have, we have a decent amount of work that we gotta do before the carpet goes in. And so I'm sitting here and I'm weighing all this stuff out. And what do you think, what do you think I said? I said tomorrow at 8.30 a.m. would work great. We'd love, we'll, we'll see you, we'll be ready for you, and then I text Amanda, and um, she texts back a few a few texts that were in all caps, um, a few choice words of uh, what "call me an idiot" and uh, you know what are you thinking? No, no, she she was she knows me by now, and so I'm sitting here and I'm like, all right, I, I got a couple hours of work left to do. I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna I'm just gonna bust this thing out, and I I get down there and and I I'm thinking this. This I'm a pretty handy guy, right? I I can do this, and I'm thinking I can. This is like an hour or two tops. It took me two hours to get the countertop off, guys. They built this thing like Fort Knox. I probably could have gotten in a safe faster than I got the countertop off of this bar. And and so I'm going and I'm going and I'm going. And, And Amanda, like she, she would just like come down the steps and like peek her head in and just like she wouldn't say anything. She'd just shake her head, and then she'd go back upstairs. And then like a couple hours later, like I'm still working, I'm still working. And and finally, it's like 930 at night before I start to really figure out how to get this thing apart. And and I'm having to undo like every little nail and and everything's bracketed. It's welded to the, the support columns in the basement. It's like screwed with like six inch screws into the concrete, into the floor. Like this thing was built to last and so it's, it's like 9.30 at night, and I'm, I'm starting to make some progress, and I'm taking these pieces apart, and I'm going, and I'm taking it up my basement steps, out through the garage, out into the driveway, and throwing it in the dumpster. And, and on one of my trips, I got a little tired, and, and I, I had this countertop in there, and I, I tried throwing it in, and as I did, I, I started to lose my balance, and so I had to step forward to support my weight, and as I did, I stepped on a two-by-four. It had a nice four inch nail sticking right out the, at, the, at the top of it. Straight through the shoe, straight into the foot. We did it, y'all. Like, I lifted my foot up and the two by four came with me. That's how bad it was. And so I'm sitting here, I'm like maybe 40% the way through getting this bar up. And so I go inside and uh, I tell a man, I was like, well, we have some good news and some bad news. The good news is we are making some progress. I've got some pieces. The bad news is, is my sock is covered in blood. I stepped on a nail. And so we're like, the kids are in bed, all this kind of stuff. It's like 10 o'clock at night and I'm just sitting there on the couch watching TV and I've got like a a cloth like taped around my my foot and I'm bleeding and I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, I've got two options here. I gotta either power through this and figure this thing out or I've gotta get up early and call and cancel and, and take this whole thing. And as I do this, I realize, you know, I'm committed. I'm already in, I gotta do this. Like I just, I'm going to do this. And so I hobbled my way back down in the basement. At 12.45, I threw the last piece of that that bar into the dumpster, went and got in bed, put some ice on my foot, and I called it a night. But I can tell you this, I didn't give up. Come on now. I didn't give up. And I know some of you are thinking, like, you should have, you're an idiot. Like, we came to this church to listen to this guy. Like, he's an idiot. And yes, I may be an idiot, but can I tell you something? There's a lot of us that at the first side of trouble, we give up. That as soon as we go in down there and we're like, we can't even get the, 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 the countertop off, I give up. And then as soon as you, you're carrying the pieces up and you're doing this, I give up. And then especially you, you go and you hurt yourself and it causes some harm to you. And, and now you're, you're having to deal through some pain. It's I give up. And I'm not just talking about ripping a bar out of your basement. I'm talking about this journey that we call life, that many of us, it's, it's these, these different things that we're using as excuses to give up, to, to compromise, to lessen our faith and belief and our commitment. And I just want to encourage you today that I believe that God wants to speak directly to your heart and tell you, do not give up. Don't lose heart today. Some of you, maybe that's your marriage Maybe some of you, you you've, you've given up on, on, on parenting your kids in the right way. and Maybe some of you, it's your job or your career or your calling. But I believe a lot of us, whether we realize it or not, we've lost heart when it comes to the calling that God has in our lives. That many of us, we started off strong in our faith and we came and we had this great moment of surrender to Jesus. And yeah, I got goosebumps and chills and I came down the altar, I lifted my hand and all this stuff. And the first week you read your Bible every single day and and you were praying and you were listening to K-Love 24-7. And then like three weeks later, you realize it's already started to fade. And many of us, if we've been in church for long, we've We can realize that that fire that was once so bright has gone so dim. And I believe today God wants to tell you that he can rekindle that fire. Don't lose heart. So we're gonna be jumping back into the book of Mark. If you haven't been with us, we started going through the book of Mark verse by verse back in September. And at this rate, uh, we will be finishing it up in uh, 2034. I think it'll be Trump and Biden round six and <laughs> inflation will still be out the roof and all, you know. I, but we are, we're journeying through this because I think that, again, so many times we live in a world that it just wants we wanna pick out a verse or we, we wanna pick out this little passage, but I, I think there is something to be said about walking through a book, walking through the word, and and picking up what is it that God is speaking through this. And so we're gonna be in chapter four this morning, and just, if you haven't been with us, or just a little bit of a brief reminder, the the book of Mark is one of the four synoptic gospels in the book of the Bible, and what that means is this, is they are four vantage points of the same events. They are all telling the same story of Jesus' birth and his life and his death, all of his ministry, but they come at it from a little bit different perspective, and they're writing it to a little bit different audience. So even Mark, as you, as you read through, you're going to realize that it's, 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 it's kind of a little bit crazy because he's a little bit out of a frenetic pace. And he jumps from one thing to the next. And he's, he's looking at all the different miracles and the different uh, works that Jesus did. And he doesn't actually focus a ton on the, the teachings of Jesus. But here in chapter 4, we actually we get a pause where in this chapter, there's actually most of the book, that, this chapter that we go through, that there's not healings and miracles. It's actually the teachings and the sayings of Jesus. And here he is in Mark chapter four, and Jesus' ministry has begun to take off. He's done some signs and miracles and healed people. And, and if anybody does that, you know what's gonna happen. You're gonna generate a crowd. And so Jesus is starting to become a bit of a, a public figure In this region, and it says this in Mark four, verse one, it says, again, he began to teach beside the sea. So, again, this is telling you he's already done this, even though we haven't necessarily seen all of this in the book of Mark yet. He's telling you that this has happened. This is a regular occurrence that, again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. Now this is just a cool little tidbit. There's actually a, a an area on, on on the Jordan River in this area that's called the Bay of Parables. and it's where many scholars believe, because of the layout and the and, and where it is in in proximity to everything else in Jesus's ministry at this time, that this is exactly the space, the place that Jesus taught these parables. And what's very interesting is is you're sitting here and and I know I, like you, you get all these people like, how' did Jesus sit there and talk to thousands of people and they'd be able to hear him? What's so cool is you can actually look up pictures of this and and there's this little bay, the area that's there and and the water, it kind of has a U shape of the land around it that forms almost a natural coliseum that it's like staggered seating all the way up and they've done some scientific studies and and different tests and they they found out that up to 5,000 people could have clearly heard the voice of Jesus as he was speaking out on the water. That just the natural acoustics and can I even take it back another step? Because I love the, you know, just the, the, the coolness of, of how God works. You know who made that bay? <laughs> you know who made that sea? I think God, even in his, 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 his plan at the beginning of time, as he formed that out, he knew this is going to be the place where Jesus is gonna come and he's gonna teach. It says that as he was teaching them, he was teaching them many things in parables. And his in his teaching he said to them, Listen, this is like this is a, a good way to start. Like, hey, hear me now, listen up. This is important. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And a lot of you, maybe you reading that, and you're like, okay, that, that's, that's cool. That sounds nice. Maybe you've heard that before, but what does this really mean? And in the next few verses, Jesus actually, he gets a, There's like this little like uh, parentheses moment where, the, where Mark is sitting here, and he's telling the story of Peter. This is the account of Peter to, to John Mark, and he's saying, hey, you know, he, he said this in public, but we had this moment in private where later on we got with Jesus, and we said, hey, uh, teacher, rabbi, What does this mean? And Jesus, he he looks and he's he's talking about why he speaks in parables. So that those who have an earnest heart could hear and understand and learn more about the kingdom. But those that are hardened, those that aren't receptive, those who just want to throw daggers at the kingdom of God, throw daggers at the ministry that I'm building, that they, they don't really get it. And a parable in, in, in the Bible is, is not, uh, it's not distinct to the Bible, actually, in this time. Many rabbis would use parables. And the word parable, it literally means to come alongside of. It's literally a story or something that's going to help give greater context among a truth that Jesus is trying to teach. And so in this culture, which is a very agrarian culture that that they're going to understand that their their life is built around farming and and planting and and agriculture, they're going to understand the truth in a better way, the way that Jesus is communicating it. There's over 60 parables in the Gospels that Jesus shares. But I love that here in this passage in Mark, he's looking and he's saying this. You can read the stories but to really get the revelation, it comes with relationship. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, hey, not everybody's going to understand, but I have chosen you, the ones who have put their faith in me. I have chosen you to illuminate the meaning. I don't know if you've ever you know, sat down and just tried to read the Bible you know, maybe before you ever came to this point of like giving your life to Jesus and, and really trying to take this seriously, and you're like, you know, I'm just gonna pop it open, and you read the Bible, and you're like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, I just, this doesn't, this doesn't connect with me. And I think it's until you, you have that moment where the Holy Spirit of God comes in and dwells inside you as you surrender your life to Jesus that the Word becomes alive. Revelation comes with relationship, which is a good principle to remember as you read your Bible. We don't read it just as a a textbook to to try and memorize the stories and the narratives of what happened. We, we, We read the Bible to become greater in relationship with God. And he continues on. And he actually explains this parable for the disciples in verse 14, he says this, the sower, this is the, the person who is laying the seed. He sows the word. What is the word? The word is the gospel. The word is actually uh, the, Jesus, the story of Jesus, the, the love of Jesus. He's, he's sowing the word. He's proclaiming the good news. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. It means it's been heard, but when they hear Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. This morning, if you're taking notes, I want to talk to you about three postures of a fruitless heart. Three postures of a fruitless heart. The first posture is this, a hardened heart. A hardened heart. You see, if you're, you're, you're understanding in this culture, what's happening here is that they would have a field and, and many times they would go and they would lay the seed out before they would actually go plow. It's a little backwards of how we do things. Now, we, we plow the ground, we get it ready, we get it tilled, and then we would go lay the seed. But in this culture, it was a little bit different because of the, the, the type of ground that they had. And so what's happening is this, this farmer, he's going out and he's trying to, to lay his seed. And as he's walking, it's saying that, that on the path, And what is the path? The path is just like any other ground except for it's been walked on again and again and again and again, so much so that it's become compacted and hardened ground that is not receptive to the seed. There's people in this world that they have a a posture of a hardened heart towards Jesus. You have to know that there's people that as much as you, you say, as much as you speak, as much as you proclaim, they have a hardened heart. They just can't receive it until, until either they come to this point where they soften their heart and, and submit their heart to Jesus, or, or they come to this moment where you pray and pray and pray, and finally God will do something through the power of his Holy Spirit to let them hear and receive. But just like there's people that have that hardened heart, What I really want us to to focus on this morning is in and ourselves, are there parts of your heart that have become hardened to the word of God? Because the, the reality is that Satan pounces on a hardened heart. If there's areas in your life that you you know you know, hey Jesus, it's cool for me to come on Sunday, and I like all this stuff that you say about giving me victory and and joy and peace and all that kind of stuff. But 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 what about repentance? I don't really know about that stuff. Or maybe there's certain things in the Bible you're like, you know, I I just don't know if I agree with that. I'm sorry you don't agree with the Creator of the universe. But as you read the word of God, is your heart hardened in any area? Because what I'm telling you, this is is that hardness is contagious. And then as you begin to harden your heart to different areas and you're not letting God come in and let his word saturate, as you're not letting him come in and have his way, as you're not surrendering to him in certain areas, those areas are going to grow like wildfire. You can see it in our culture. We can see people who've grown up in the church, who've heard the word, that have gone to camps and they've raised their hand and they've cried tears and all these different things. But now culture is telling them something that's contrary to the word of God and they've hardened their heart to Jesus. And slowly but surely, they fall away. Slowly but surely, they come to this point where they just abandon it altogether. So as you look at your life today, are there areas of your heart that aren't completely open to God? Are there areas in your life that you, you, you're sectioning off, that you've hardened off, that you, you will not let God have control of, dominion of? Well, I just, I just don't know if I want to give that up. Well, I just don't know if I want to believe that. I, 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 just, I just don't know if I want to agree with that. Listen, if you agreed naturally, with everything that God said in his word, that would make you God. There are bound to be areas in the word of God that you come in and you're like, you know what, Mm, that hurts a little bit. Ooh, that stings a little bit. But I can't just cut them out, snip them out, and ignore that they're there. I have to soften my heart. And the reality that I see in this, there's an enemy that is actively seeking to devour what God is sowing in your life. It says that in those moments in that that part of the path where the the seed couldn't take root because it was a hardened path, what happened? It says that the enemy, Satan, was like the bird coming in to snatch the seed away. That before it ever even had an opportunity to grow or to flourish, the enemy is going to come in and he's going to pounce on the area that you have hardened. Many of us, we we go about our lives completely unaware of the work that the enemy is trying to do to come against us. To sow discord, to sow lies into our hearts and our minds. Let's continue in verse 16. It says this, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word immediately, they receive it with joy. And yet they have no root in themselves but endure for a while, then when tribulation or persecution arises, on account of the word, immediately they fall away. The second posture of a fruitless heart is an immature heart. An immature heart. Immaturity doesn't come with how long you've been a believer or not. I know people who've been to church for decades but the, the, the truth that they're planning is just surface level. Their walk with God is just, it's, it's superficial surface level that as soon as certain things come against them, they begin to compromise and walk away and ignore what it is that God is trying to do in their life. How many of you have been through a circumstance, a situation that has just gotten you where you're just like questioning the whole, the whole thing? Like, is God real? Like, am I crazy to believe this? Maybe I'm just not good enough for this. Maybe he doesn't, maybe he loves everyone else, but not me. You cannot judge God based on the lens of your circumstances. You have to judge God on the faithfulness of his word. You have to let it sink deep. You know, it's funny in uh, you know planting a church and pastoring a church and all this kind of stuff. You know the people who scare me the most are the people that come and like week one, they're like first-time guests and they come and they're like, I want to join a serve team and I want to join a community group and I want to disciple five people and you know what? I'm praying for you every day. I'm going to fast every day this week and I'm going to sing every song and I'm going to get on everything that we do and all the email lists and I want to do this, 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 and this, and this. And, this. and then by like Wednesday, they're like, who are you again? Because we'll make decisions based on like the, the hype of them. Can I tell you something? I, I said this before. Hype is hasty. Hype will get you to make a a decision in a moment based off of emotion you cannot sustain by your willpower. That's a good word. Because so much of our life is based on how we feel in a moment. That moment we look in the mirror like, whew, yeah, I'm I'm going to the gym tomorrow. I'm going to eat nothing but salads for the next week. The next morning you're like going through Dunkin' Donuts. Or you look at your bank account and you're like, ooh, we got to save. We got to strap this thing tight. We got to get in, in, in order. We're going we're to do all these things right. Like the next day, like, did you see the new Tesla? It's, it's really, it's kind of affordable. Right, because all these different things, like we'll, we'll get in, in a moment of emotion and we'll, we'll commit ourselves to something through emotion. And emotion is not all bad, but emotion cannot sustain you. Emotions make a good uh, passenger. They do not make a good driver for your life. You see, God can use your emotions to help bring you into alignment with him, but there has to be some moment where it's not just on this level of emotion where you are sinking it deep and making a, a decision based on conviction. So is your heart mature? Mature? You know, I just want to tell you, maturity doesn't just happen. Like you're born, you grow automatically, but maturing is a process. Growth is is deliberate. Some of you think that just because you come to church every once in a while and you listen to some elevation worship that you're going to grow in your faith. And that would just be like a bodybuilder who says, I'm gonna eat once a month and I'm gonna go to the gym here and there and expect to grow. What are you doing deliberately to grow in your faith? Do you have an answer? Are there things that you could look at in your life and say, yeah, I'm doing this and I'm doing that That, because I want to grow. And I don't want to just be hot for a moment and then fade. I don't want to just be that person that that makes this emotional response to Jesus. But my life looks exactly the same or worse off a year from now. If you want to be the one that lasts, if you want to be the one that is faithful in the end, you have to mature And things that last are rarely immediate. They take time. They take process. It takes work. Let's continue. It says this in verse 18 And others are the ones sown among thorns. They're those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and proves unfaithful. The third posture of a fruitless heart is this, a distracted heart. A distracted heart. And many of us, this is where we are. If we were really honest, this is where we are. We really want God on Sunday. But man, work is calling We really want God on Sunday, or or on the moment when when life is tough. But man, I got to go do some other stuff, and and and, you know I I can't look crazy in front of my coworkers, and I I can't I can't live that radical because then it's going to affect my job, and, and and I gotta I gotta provide for my family and all that. We get a distracted heart. We get a heart that is torn between two worlds. A lot of you, I know you have goals and visions and ambitions. And if you wrote them all down on a list, how many would be about things of this world and how many would be about things of God? How many of those things that you wrote down to be that you want to... You want to share your faith more, or you want to pray more. You're going to fast more. You're going to, you're going to study the word and memorize some scripture, and, and you're going to go build a relationship here, and you're going to commit yourself to community group. And, and then how many of those would be about, well, I got to move up. I got to get the promotion. I want, to, I want to have this much saved. I want to go on this vacation. I want to have this trip. I'd really like to buy that jacket, and this new car is coming out. How many of, of your goals and objectives would be about things of this world? That'll tell you how dedicated you are as a follower of Jesus Christ. And I know I'm offending some people because I've offended myself all week with this. It's hard, y'all. But the Bible never said that it was just going to be a piece of cake following Jesus. He said that He would take the burden, He said that He would give us the strength to carry on and keep moving forward. But he also said that you must be willing to leave your life. Take up your cross and follow him. Verse 20. says, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word. And accept it. And bear fruit 30 fold and 60 fold. And a hundredfold. And I want to tell you this morning, I want you to write this down. I want you to put this on your phone. I want you to do, if you got to write it on your hand, I want you to know this. God's desire is for you to bear much fruit. God does not want you to live a life that is barren. So much of our culture nowadays, we've gotten into the heat of the moment when so much of culture before us was about legacy and generations and bearing fruit that outlasted us, that outweighed us. God wants you to bear much fruit. In fact, in this culture, I wanna show you how much fruit he is talking about because in this day and age, you know what a good harvest would be? About sevenfold, maybe eightfold. And if you were extraordinary, maybe a 10 to 12 fold return on your seed that you sowed. But Jesus just comes and he blasts this out of the park. And he says that when you hear the word, that's step one. When you accept it, obedience is step two. Then you will bear much fruit. Not just your average, not just your exceptional, but a a heavenly, miraculous type of fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And this is the picture of the early church. The early church, which was just this small group of of people gathered in a room desperate for God. And as they gathered together, God used that small group of people to affect billions of people over the last 2,000 years. And it's the reason that we're sitting in this room and it's not explainable by any other fact that God can bear fruit beyond our capacity, beyond our ability, beyond our imagination. And the picture of this, I don't know if you caught this, but three out of the four postures, three out of the four examples in this parable, you know what happens? They came up short. Some of you you just think, like, I'm a believer. I've been raised in church. I, I'm going to finish this thing well, that, that at the end of my life, I'll still be on the right path, and I'll still be doing good. But this scripture, this parable would say otherwise. This scripture would say that three out of four people are going to fall away. And so if you think you can just set your life and your faith to coast, to cruise control, and endure through the end of the trip, I want to caution you to be aware of the posture of your heart. To be aware of, of the areas that you need to grow, that you need to surrender, that you need to submit yourself and I would, I would guess there's a lot of people in this room you would say, I don't want to lose heart. I want to be that person. I want to be the one that's faithful to the end. I want to be the one that when I enter those pearly gates, God looks and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Yeah, right? That would be us. So if you don't want to lose heart, then you better guard it. If you, if you don't want to lose heart, you better keep track of it. Some of you guard your phone better than you guard your heart. Some of you track your followers more than you track the trajectory of your heart, the health of your heart. Some of you, you keep track of your bank account and your stock portfolio more than you track the health and sustenance of your heart. And this is a moment today where I believe through the word of Jesus that he's saying, hey, you, you got to step back. You got to examine what is the posture of your heart? Because if you want to last till the end, if you want to be the one that, that enters into heaven and saying, yes, I've done all that I could do. I've ran this race, like Paul says, not that I've I, I've attained it, but I'm going to continue to set my eyes on the prize. If you want to be that person, then you better examine your heart regularly. You better guard your heart. You better protect your heart. You better examine what is it that is coming against your heart. And what are you doing to counterbalance it? And Proverbs 4.23, maybe this is your prayer this week. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. If you want to have a healthy life, you better have a healthy heart. And if you want to have a healthy heart, you better guard that heart. You better cultivate that heart. You better get the, the word of God inside of your heart. And obedience should not become the exception in your life. In 1946, there was a three young evangelists that kind of burst on the scene. And these evangelists, they were all just great preachers, great communicators, highly effective. And, and these these three, they were starting to travel around the nation and they were collecting just, just crowds after crowd after crowd. And there'd be hundreds of people who would come forward at these rallies. And you might know the one by the name of Billy Graham. You heard of him? Kind of a big deal. And Billy Graham in 1946, he he began his ministry. And he had these two other preachers, evangelists, that were with him. One was by the name of Chuck Templeton. And the other was Braun Clifford. And actually, what's funny is in this time, and there's quotes of people from different seminaries and things like that say, hey, Billy's good, but Chuck, man, he can preach a room down. And we, 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 love, we love Billy, but have you seen Braun and the way that he, he expounds and exegetes the word? There's just something to him that the way he communicates, it's so beautiful. He's so effective, and what happens is these three evangelists, they, they you know, they start working together and, and, and Billy, one of the things that you'll see very early on in his ministry that, that he, he makes these declarations, these protections that he's starting to realize that, that people are, are letting the fame and the crowd and everything else get to him. And he, and he says, you know, what? I'm going to guard my heart and I'm going to set some things in place to make sure that I'm not going to fall short that I'm not gonna gonna allow the enemy to come in and attack me and, and, and come and get me in certain ways. I'm not gonna trip over sin because the call is too great in my life. And Billy goes on to be one of the greatest evangelists this world has ever seen. It's said that he has preached to more people than anyone else in the history of the world. He counseled presidents and kings and queens And not too long ago, Billy Graham died a hero of the faith after enduring for decade after decade after decade. So maybe you're asking, what about the other two? Chuck Templeton, within 10 years, became agnostic. He began to to get so deep in the the study of the word, and, and, and he went to... Scholars that weren't believers and he started diving into the philosophies of the world and he came to this point where it would become more about the study than the relationship. And slowly but surely he turned his back on Jesus. And in the late 90s there was an interview with Chuck Templeton. And somebody asked him, what, what about Jesus? And his eyes got all teary. He starts to talk and he says, This boy, I miss him. He died a few months later. Braun Clifford. One of the ones who is known to be the, the great evangelist, the better communicator than Billy. Within a decade, he had left his family. His wife and his two sons with Down syndrome he became an alcoholic and within 10 years of his ministry starting he died in a random motel in Texas overcome by the alcohol at the age of 35 and i would i would venture a guess that these men all started with the same goal in mind with the same Objective for their life to be meaningful for the kingdom of God and what happens is as you don't protect your heart, as you don't guard yourself. When you set yourself just on autopilot, especially when you get into a position such as they were in, the enemy comes and he snatches it away. And I'm looking at Many of you in this room today, and I know that some of you are thinking, that'll never be me. And I'd caution you to to not think that way. Because that puts the strength in your hands. Oh, that'll never, I'll never do that. Says every person that's ever done anything wrong. But you have to sit back and examine your heart, and and you have to say, Am I surrendered to my strength, or am I surrendered to the strength of the Holy Spirit? Am I constantly guarding my heart and my mind, or am I letting the contaminants of this world come against me? And I'm telling you this this morning if you don't have a system for growth in your faith, it will fail. And hear me very clearly your faith is not a system, it's a relationship. But healthy relationships take healthy systems. I hope that as you've been, if you've been married for any sort of time, you have some sort of system of communication, of a way that you dialogue with your spouse, a system for how you structure your house, a system for how you get some time alone to, to rekindle the romance. I hope you have some systems in place, but more so than that, I hope you have a system, a process, some things that you're doing in your life, not just goals and objectives, but systems and, and things in place that you are regularly doing to grow in your faith. There's a quote, he's, he's not a believer, but it's a great book, Atomic Habits. And James Clear, he says this, he says, goals are for people who want to win once. Systems are for, are for people who want to win repeatedly. Because some of you, you know, the first thing you do is like, I just want to read through a book of the Bible, and that's a great goal. But what if instead you, you develop a system that for 20 minutes every day you're going to read your Bible, and for 20 minutes you're going to sit in prayer in silence before the God of the universe, And the goal is not that I want to pray more, that I want to read more. It's that that I'm setting up a system and process that I can sustain, that will sustain me so that when the end comes, I haven't lost heart. I haven't lost my faith, that the fire hasn't grown dim, but I am standing strong. As you look at your life, I want you to think decades. Don't think moments. Can you live the way that you're living now for decades? If you can't, why are you living that way? This is not just even about your faith. This is a good practice as your life as a whole. Can you sustain the schedule that you have right now for decades? Can you sustain your systems and patterns of health? And then there's this question of trajectory. Can you get there? Can you see the finish line? I wanna tell you, if you can't picture the finish line, you'll never get there. So if you don't have the finish line in mind, can you get there with the way that you're going? Maybe it's different dreams that God has given you. Maybe it's different things in your relationships, hopes for your marriage and your family. And can you reach those goals based on the direction that you're headed? Are you on a path that is taking you toward what you say you want? Or are you just heightened by emotions in a moment and it fades in a day? If you keep doing what you're doing right now, What will your life and your relationship with God look like in one year, three years, 10 years? Maturity doesn't just happen. Depth doesn't just happen. It's intentional. And I wanna caution you above all else to guard your heart. Let us be a people of endurance, of commitment. That we're in it for the long haul that we're we're putting practices in our lives, in our schedules, for the long-term health of our heart. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that in this passage, you tell us that you want us to bear fruit, that your heart is that we bear fruit, that we, we can see your kingdom expanded, that we can see your hand at work. But God, we know that it takes hearing you being obedient to you and guarding our heart. So God, I pray for every person in this room. And I know the desire is not that we would, we would be lit and then fade, but that we would sustain till the end, that we wouldn't lose heart, that we wouldn't give up, but God, that we'd be standing in the end. And God, that, that doesn't take us standing in our own power, it takes us standing in your power. So God, I pray that we would place our trust and our hope in you, God, that you would be our firm foundation. God, I pray that you would show us areas of our heart that we are weak and vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy, to the impressions of culture, and God, to the distractions of life. God, mature us, deepen us, and sustain us through your power. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.